This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle. My name is Haitham Gadiri, Senior Vice President of Sales and Marketing for uh, True Commerce. What I love about grocery is uh, the transformation that is happening today, driven by the customer delivery promise. There are a lot of good things that uh, we are seeing in uh, terms of automation, uh, increased collaboration and visibility within the supply chain network, and uh, uh, grocers and their respective suppliers are really paying attention um, to that in order for us to shorten the time frame of delivering that product to the customer from days to hours first and then maybe two minutes, hopefully. Electronic Data Interchange, or EDI, allows business information to exist in a standardized format, allowing one company to send information to another company electronically and become trading partners. Coming up, you'll hear Rob Sanchez and Charles Beckwith on location at Grocery Shop in Las Vegas, hearing from the Senior VP of Sales and Marketing at a company that offers the most complete way to connect your business across the supply chain in a way that's more connected, more supported, and more prepared for what's next. Plus, what Amazon's entry into the grocery business means for that industry, the significance of the Endless Aisle Initiative, and tips on how to reassess yourself as a leader in a busy and fast-paced industry. This is Grocery Is Your Business, recorded on location. So, Haitham, welcome. It's a pleasure to have you here with us. Um, I'd love to have you unpack a little bit about what you do and a little bit about True Commerce as well. Okay. Uh, so I run uh, uh, sales and marketing for True Commerce. Uh, we are a, a global organization, um, help uh, supply chain participants uh, connect to each other. Uh, mm-hmm. We have a multi-enterprise commerce network uh, that handles the communication between suppliers and retailers uh, from transaction standpoint, uh, invoices, uh, purchase orders, mm-hmm. um, as well as uh, uh, productivity apps like uh, fulfillment apps, uh, e-commerce apps. So we help suppliers basically connect to a variety of channels. And that's, uh, you know, our causes do businesses in every direction. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you look at it, a company like Nike, Nike for example, um, identities and classification in uh, supply chain uh, is no longer the old traditional way. A company like Nike is now manufacturer, retailer, e-tailer, distributor. And they also probably sell to uh, marketplaces after they sign an agreement with with Amazon. Mm -hmm. So companies today have to do business in every direction. There's no one traditional channel um, that, uh, and and, uh, uh, Gen X and the millennials are driving that revolution basically because they want the product, the right product, right place, and they want it now. Yeah. so we help facilitate that uh, at uh, different scales. We work with uh, startups, scale-ups, and Fortune 30 companies. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Um, what would you say is sort of the biggest area of change right now inside of grocery and retail? Um, I would say, obviously, Amazon getting into the grocery business. Um, uh, we work in, uh, with various segments, obviously, and uh, Amazon getting in the grocery business, we're going to see what Amazon has done 
in the, in the rest of the industries uh, they participated in. Mm-hmm. Uh, Amazon Prime was uh, uh, revolutionary in the market. Um, it changed the concept of product delivery and delivering on the customer promise. I will deliver it to you in two days to that place. Yeah. Um, and they made it almost guaranteed. And that obviously created a big challenge for their competitors. Yeah. I actually welcomed the entrance of Amazon in the grocery uh, uh, industry. And uh, the conversations that we're having today with uh, uh, retailers and brands uh, is going all about how we can, can we automate as well. Mm-hmm. And so I think their entrance, obviously, they're not going to be an easy competitor. Uh, they also a partner for us. Um, we connect to them, to their marketplaces. Uh, but I think that will change a lot of things in the grocery industry. Do you think Amazon has scared a lot of people into innovating now that they've entered this business and it's made people wake up a little bit? I mean, it seems oh, yes. like this, this is a very traditional kind of industry that is suddenly adopting a lot of technology and new systems. And- yes, and they need to adapt very fast. So it's, a, it's obviously, I will, I'll call it a wake-up call. Um, yeah. Back in the past, before Omnichannel, um, when brick-and-mortar more popular as the primary channel. There was the saying in the industries, death by Walmart. Now it's yeah. the death by Amazon. Um, and they're doing a lot of great things. And uh, they're helping revolutionize e-commerce in general as well. So they're leading, leading the way, uh, but they're not stopping anyone from trying to compete at that automation level. And that's encouraging uh, CTOs and uh, VPs of supply chain and VPs of e-commerce to, uh, to look at those initiatives through automation. Earlier today, Nari Yeager from uh, Albertsons was talking a little bit about um, the endless aisle experience, the multiple SKU experience, and how even uh, the rise of food startups and grocery startups has been impacting how stores um, handle logistics in stores, how they handle shelf space. What are you seeing as the pressures right now that are shifting the industry beyond just the Amazon? Is there a shift in consumer behavior, a shift in buying pattern or anything like that that's also Absolutely. impacting? And a big time as well. Um, and we participate with a lot of brands and retailers to help them with that initiative, the Endless Isle initiative. Mm-hmm. Um, let's t- take a look maybe at it from process standpoint. The box that comes to your house moves multiple times unnecessarily. Yeah. It moves from manufacturer to maybe a storing facility. Then it moves from this, this storing facility to another distribution center mm-hmm. with the retailer. Then from the retailer to either e-commerce, you ship it, or to the store. About yeah. three or four movements. Um, with the endless aisle experience, this box needs to move very fast. Because uh, there was a study actually uh, a couple of years ago. I can share with you the white paper, but they surveyed... Um, uh, a few thousand of people and ask them about what do you think about uh, ground delivery mm-hmm. for shipping five to seven days. Yeah. And uh, only I think 30% saw that as an acceptable method of yeah. freight shipping. They saw that one day is great, two days it's good, three days borderline. Seven days I can drive to California and pick it up. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Why is it taking you this long? Exactly. 
I can get on an airplane and pick it up tomorrow and come home. Yeah. Why can't you send it me send it to me that fast? It it doesn't make sense to to consumers. But there's all this complexity in the business. Do you see those complexities being stripped away or or exchanged with simpler Absolutely. things now? And that's the point that I'm trying to make. If um, if you are a retail executive and you're trying to um, run an initiative for the endless aisle, I do not suggest it unless you have the automation tools in place, tested, proven, they talk to each other. Mm-hmm. Because that movement, if, if you start thinking about it like a catalog of hundreds of thousands of products and you'll be able to ship it, you are giving the customer a delivery promise. And the delivery promise generally now is two days. Yeah. So let's take it backward. It's great. Marketers and e-commerce executives do a great job in getting that order. From the path to purchase, managing the reviews, managing Google AdWords and related keywords, getting them into the store, organizing the products effectively, and then getting the order. But once you got that order, you also gave a delivery promise. My delivery promise is to ship it to you in two days or one day. Today's consumers, including us, including I have a 10 and 7, they don't understand it if the product doesn't come in in two days. Yeah. Well, and now it's getting even more complex than that. It's within a two-hour time window, within a 30-minute time window, within a 10-minute time window of delivery. Um, so you've got that, that last mile side as well now. Right. And the Endless Isle initiative requires that you have a very, not just efficient, a very efficient supply chain. Yeah. Because that order will come in. It needs to be transmitted to the proper supplier. Proper supplier needs to react instantly if they can fill it or kill it. Yeah. So you can either source it somewhere else or at least tell the customer, sorry, within minutes, sorry, I'm not able to deliver in that versus waiting for days. Yeah. And then the supplier needs to be efficient because that's generally drop shipped direct to consumer. The supplier needs to be efficient enough that they're also able to deliver on that promise that you made. Yeah. You're making a promise that someone else is delivering on it. It's a lot of trust. So if that trust is breached by delays, does that company have a much harder time getting that customer back? It's going to be very hard. It's going to be very hard. And that's Amazon mastered that, the uh, user experience and their delivery promise and through also their efficiency. Once you start losing a customer, it's the, the crowdsourcing as well with the reviews. Uh, reviews could be a re- related to the product, but a reviews related to the delivery promise. Mm-hmm. or the delivery time. I ordered the package and got late, got late, and all the bad reviews are, you know, because it arrived late. Yeah. Um, then, you know, you're losing that crowd, that e-commerce crowd. Yeah. Do you, see, um, do you see stores and major retailers being treated as commodities right now, or do you think there is a lot of differentiation between them? Uh, so I'm, what I'm thinking about is, like, I use three different grocery stores in a several block radius, um, because they're all within walking distance and they're, to me, their promise isn't all that different, but I might choose a unique product set at each. With online, does that go away at all? Um, does it become like single brand loyalty? I think, I think depending on the level of automation and, uh, and convenient, um, some retailers and grocers will be able to win the hearts and minds of 
their companies just because it's easy to do business with. Mm -hmm. um, soon you might find subscriptions yeah. uh, with some automation soon with uh, AI and uh, you know intelligent appliances, your fridge might be able to send communication or at least you just see it, you say send to Giant or send to Safeway or send to... Yeah. Um, if the retailer is not prepared for what's next and what's coming, those initiatives, um, those who have it will take advantage of it and will uh, win customer loyalty. So your company works on a lot of these solutions. What are you helping your customers do? What, what does True Commerce leverage for its customers? So we help automate the communication and the transactions between the retailers and their suppliers, retailers mm -hmm. or e-tailers and their suppliers. Let's say I'm a convenience store. How do More you help? More connected. It, if I'm a convenience store that has a gas station, how, how do you help me? Uh, so I would work with you on your supplier, uh, supply chain, supplier strategy. Okay. So all the, all the sodas, the potato chips, and the oil cans, and all that stuff that's in the convenience store for a gas station. You, you help connect with the, the brands and, and then getting them into the stores. Are you, you're tracking how they're shipped to the store and things like that? Or? So, yeah, the that's the visibility part. Okay. So the collaboration is collaborating the product information, the invoicing, the purchasing, uh, and then the visibility part is where that product is and the status of the order so it can be uh, communicated. I would, we would help them in, on the supplier side to uh, get into that su supplier efficiency. We take uh, a strategic approach with them. We're not a point solution. That's why we refer as a commerce network. So... There are strategic suppliers, obviously. There are suppliers that you know, your paper towels, your ketchup, every, it needs to be on the shelf at all times. These yeah. are products that cannot, the staples, you yeah. can't have a stock out of that. Yeah. Um, so the level of collaboration with that type of, you know, these types of SKUs and products is managed through you know, uh, a technology called vendor managed inventory. The, the suppliers manage their inventory at the store level. So we help the stores the stores basically send their sales data to those strategic suppliers. We take it in our platform, analyze it, and based on forecast, recommend um, you know, how to restock it and the quantities. And then some additional tools, obviously, for productivity. But then they place the purchase order to themselves and the product moves. So that's how we can make sure that you're not stocking up. Yeah. On the middle side... Um, you know, we have a technology called EDI. So for the EDI suppliers, what then... Does, what does that stand it's for? It's electronic data interchain. These okay. are standards. Um, each, uh, each retailer have, you know, published their, uh, their specs, and we map to those specs. We connect to about 90,000 uh, trading partners globally. So we map their specs, and suppliers sign up with us, and they know that they are compliant and compatible to trade with those on the EDI side. So I come from the fashion business. If uh, I'm supplying to, say, um, Bloomingdale's, Bloomingdale's has requirements for their products coming into their system. You, you have to match up with what's basically their internal spreadsheets. Your stuff has to match their stuff. So you help the suppliers match up with the requirements of a big retailer. We help in that area as well. Okay. That's through our uh, PIM PIM solution, product okay. information management. So what's different for the EDI? The EDI one is helps basically the purchase order process. Okay. So uh, Bloomingdale, for example, would mandate 
that their suppliers use EDI technology or log into their portal. So when they send a purchase order, it's not by fax or email. It's sent and it arrives in minutes. They get confirmation that it was delivered and they get a response on the uh, fulfillment status. Can you fill it or can't you? Through, uh, for example, a document called the 855. Um, so that's a process where we have, where we connect to all the, uh, the retailers. So for a brand, we have brands that connect to maybe uh, 100 or 150 retailers through our one platform. And they, they're compliant, they map to their specs. We pull the product, the, um, the document from their ERP system, send the invoice, automate that process. In terms of uh, product exchange and catalog exchange, which actually ties to the endless aisle part, um, is we're also able, able to pull the items from the ERP system and then upload it to that system, the PIMS, uh, you know, um, which is part of our platform, uh, where you can actually organize your products by brands, uh, catalogs by retailers. So if you need to publish a certain catalog to Walmart or a catalog to Amazon, and they vary, maybe SKU numbers, uh, mm -hmm. the description of multimedia attachment, pricing difference, uh, differentiators, and th then we connect to those platform. So the product exchange, if I have the endless aisle and I'm running, you know, um, I'm a retailer with 300,000 SKUs, then I need to constantly get updates about the stock status, inventory status. If you yeah. don't have it in stock, I don't want to put it in my website. Yeah. It's inefficient to get an order that I later say, Sorry, I can't deliver. Yeah. Um, so that's that's the collaboration on the on the product level plus the document level. How do you handle fandom inventory and things like that with um, like pick and place from stores? Do you look at that at all? Like, how do you um, handle fandom stockouts where things are misshelved or and fandom inventory where maybe shoplifting or something like that is taken away from products? We don't handle that warehouse yeah. management system part. Yeah. Uh, but uh, we partner but you with the leading providers. With yeah. To, to communicate, the, the, to send the information and retrieve the information back and forth. Okay. So we work on the electronic documents that make that movement. Uh, that being said, we also have, we have a product, but it's not a warehouse management for mm -hmm. uh, uh, packing and shipping. Yeah. Uh, and it also has some compliance tools of the, uh, of the label printing. Uh, you know, many boxes now come with a return label. So if you don't like it, you have to return it. Yeah. Uh, there are certain information that needs to go to the retailer. So at that level, if you're processing, you know, a few hundred, maybe a few thousand uh, single digit, you know, orders a day, yeah. that's a solution. Once they, um, they grow beyond that, then um, most companies will get a WMS or house management system. So yeah. we have that now. Hi, it's Mark Rico. I want you to listen to this. Hiring is challenging, but there's one place you can go where hiring is simple, fast, and smart. It's a place where growing businesses connect to qualified candidates. And that place is ZipRecruiter.com slash Mouth Media Network. Hiring used to be hard. Multiple job sites, stacks of resumes, a confusing review process. But today, hiring can be easy. And you only have to go to one place to get it done. ZipRecruiter.com slash 
Mouth Media Network. Zip Recruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, Zip Recruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invite them to apply to your job. As applications come in, Zip Recruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great match. ZipRecruiter is so effective that 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Mouth Media Network. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Where do you think the industry is going to start going now that these systems in the back end are starting to change? Do you think there's going to be more innovation in methodologies of sales? Um, Or do you think we still need to fix stuff in the back end uh, and communication on that side? I think it's uh, critically important to, uh, to fix and streamline the back end to be ready for the front line. I think uh, marketers and e-commerce teams did a great job in um, understanding consumer behaviors, uh, like I said, crowdsourcing, creating catalogs, interactive websites mm-hmm. uh, that are multi-device compatible using HTML5. That's, that's a, you know, a technology that's helped with that. So it can help user experience. That part, I think, is advancing quite well. Yeah. Um, I advise uh, retailers and grocers that uh, they get those teams to talk to each other um, because it's one customer and one yeah. user customer experience. So the e-commerce team must be talking to the supply chain team about, okay, once we make that process, can you actually deliver it? And if they can't, that is not a time for one department to complain about the other. <laughs> that is time for departments to come and talk to each other and say, okay, well, let's just publish it based on what we have today. Yeah. If you can't deliver it in two days, let's not say we can. Yeah. And then let's work on increasing that. That is very critical because you could really lose fast, very fast, if those are not tied together. Yeah. If I get a nice order, nice email, nice communication, nice website, and then at the end of the day, I get the order after Christmas, the box, it, it needed to be under that tree. That's yeah. the right place at the right time before Christmas, right? Yeah. And you need the right product too. So yeah. you don't disappoint anybody. And uh, it sounds easy, but it is not. Yeah. Are there any traditional silos in this industry that you're seeing start to need to break down? Um, I know Charles had mentioned fashion. We've seen a lot of um, different communications between, let's say it's a uh, somebody who's focused on sustainability um, inside of a company, communicating with somebody who's focused on the actual supply chain. Sometimes there's not communication, so it ends up looking like greenwashing when it's out there, where this is the stated promise of what we're going to do, but the reality is the sourcing never caught up with that promise. Right. Um, are you seeing any of that in grocery right now, where maybe there's like miscommunications that are systemic inside of the industry? I think the teams have traditionally not talked to each other. Mm-hmm. Maybe their discussion was through IT. Yeah. So it's, it's a new thing, how to drive a culture of getting the teams to collaborate around the user experience. Obviously, user experience is the heart of Omnichannel. And yes, we see progress. We actually see many uh, retailers who 
come to us and they want to automate their entire supply chain network through the strategic, the middle, and yeah. the long tail, let's give them a portal as well. Um, just because they maybe had a pilot or realized that without an efficient supplier network, I cannot compete effectively. Mm -hmm. um, but the communication level, I wouldn't, you know, uh, limit it to the grocery industry. Mm -hmm. um, it's, uh, it's widespread. We are even talking yesterday, I was talking with uh, uh, one of uh, uh, the analysts who stopped by, and we are talking about the, the gap between what a, uh, a chief information security officer thinks that their preparedness for GDPR yeah. is and what a, a, a CMO thinks. Yeah. CMO thinks that they are there. Yeah. We've done it. We got it. We added the disclaimers. We added, you know, yeah. accept the cookies and we're good. And uh, the CISO thinks that, well, we are not. Yeah. Right? We're going to get sued. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, this collaboration, I mean, um, has to increase. There are many, uh, many initiatives. When we go to meetings, you know, as a strategic technology partner for retail, with retail, retailers, we actually see more departments now invited around the table mm -hmm. uh, because they are connected. So we're not just talking to the supply chain, the chain team that is responsible. We, we see the e-commerce team, we see the merchandisers, we see because they're all tied into that platform. Yeah. How did you get into all this? What was your, your path to coming to this industry? So we started as a company. On no, I mean you personally. Me personally. Yeah. Um, that's a very interesting story. Um, I, uh, I worked initially when I started my career on the ERP side. So that's managing back end and, you know, we've sold to, you know, brands and retailers. Uh, then I moved to Tremble. It's a publicly traded organization uh, for um, navigation technology and uh, surveying technology, etc., more on the engineering side. Uh, and that were working on efficiency for the transportation and uh, industry, mm -hmm. uh, which is a very important part of supply chain. Yes. Yeah. That's, you know, how to get the product there. Uh, and then I liked True Commerce at that time. Um, uh, I knew one of their board members and uh, who reached out to me and he said, great opportunity. Why don't you come and take a look at it? Because I think, you know, this company uh, would be something. So yeah. you came in early. I came in early. It was nine, email, uh, nine million. Yeah. Today we're a hundred million, and uh, uh, global organization. We have uh, about eight locations here in uh, in the U.S., uh, four in uh, or five in, in Europe, mm -hmm. and it's European operation, not sales operation. It's European with implementation, and, uh, yeah. and then one office in Shanghai. We're we're about to expand in uh, Asia Pacific as well. So, nice story, and yeah. uh, we're just starting. I mean, I see it, and you know, we're just passionate about it. We built a platform that is, um, let's say, unique to our line of business. We call it True Commerce Foundry. Uh, it's the same concept, maybe, as Microsoft 365. Mm -hmm. uh, so, with all those apps that I mentioned and connections, tra traditionally, they're managed through multiple systems. Yeah. What we did is we created a Foundry platform that gets you unified user interface, one login, and we also embed those apps in the solution. And that also increases the collaboration between the team members. So yeah. instead of I'm um, using, like in marketing, we use Marketo, we use NetSuite, or you use Salesforce.com, we use Pardot, use, yeah. if you are unifying it. So we, um, 
uh, we are leading that effort and, and you know the concept of uh, enterprise business commerce networks to increase that collaboration and uh, we we grow our business through you know r and d internally and through acquisitions as well okay so you're a veteran of sales. Do you have any advice for people who are starting to do sales? What are the fundamentals uh, and, and what's become more important lately? Sales and consultative selling mm-hmm. um, is extremely necessary to, uh, to help this industry ramp up automation. It's not a, just a point solution. Um, so I would advise sales professionals to, um, to understand what's driving the market and to focus on how they can help their customers mm-hmm. be more competitive and more efficient versus really selling, going out and selling a product. Because at the end of the day, you're helping your customer be successful and compete effectively. That's at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, so really learn the industry for sales professionals, know your business very well, uh, know the challenges, um, increase your knowledge by reading reports, Gartner, IDC, Forrester, Aberdeen, they wrote excellent reports about, and, and more depth about what we are talking about here today. Um, on the retail side, the relationship between B2B, between retailers and suppliers, which is the B2B side. It also has to be strategic. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, traditionally, it was how can I get the best price, and it was negotiations, and maybe. But today, it's how can I get the most reliable supplier that can help me deliver on that customer process. Obviously, yeah. negotiating pricing is is important, uh, but I would advise retailers that if you are signing up partnership with suppliers, not only look at the products, how good they are, and the efficiency, or even just compliance. Uh, their um, uh, supply chain process and efficiency need to be reviewed as well and aligned uh, yeah. in that regard. So if you're looking at a giant enterprise and, and you think, I can help them, how do you approach approaching a giant faceless corporation? How, how do you think about being able to talk to the right person in that organization to deliver what you want to deliver? Um, I think excellent events like this one. Okay. Um, it gives you the opportunity to talk about. We don't come here to see as this is like a sales event and we want to sell something. We get the opportunity to talk to them about their initiatives. What are yeah. you doing for this? And uh, and also, you know, uh, having them to think about it because there is a business case um, is made and um, it's not as pen. It's reality. Uh, so events like this, uh, we have also some of our customers who uh, we work with, you know, Fortune 500 companies all the way to, you know, emerging brands. I'd love to call them emerging brands. Um, and uh, we, we work with them at, at the different initiatives, try to get the e-commerce uh, people together, try to, um, and then in some speaking events, obviously. So um, we also see, you know, uh, um, Research firms like Gartner and IDC and Forrester, they're driving these initiatives. They're alerting them. And uh, and large enterprises generally talk to um, analysts to get the latest update and prepare their organizations. Um, That's a great spot to start wrapping up the interview. Um, I'd love to just switch to some more personal questions real quick. We usually like to ask one or two at the very end. Okay. Um, So I'd love to hear from you. 
we're in Vegas. It's uh, where you go to go to a place like this or where you go to make mistakes. Um, I'd love to hear <laughs> from you. Uh, what's a moment in your life where you made a mistake or you made uh, a choice that you look back on and you're like, okay, that set me on a different trajectory. That set me on a different path. <laughs> um, it could be a good path, right? Yeah. It yeah. doesn't have to be a bad, not a bad, yeah. bad path. I find that some of my best things came from mistakes I made. Yeah. Yeah. It's sort of the like, oh, this is now ivory soap because somebody messed up on the formula. I don't yeah. know if you know that story, but. Um. I, I don't recall a specific one because there are a lot of them. <laughs> okay. yeah. um, and, uh, you know, I love the word review on course correct. Yeah. And learning from your experience. And I think good leaders are the ones who realize that um, you should you actually make mistakes, right? Yeah. And sometimes the decisions, the important thing, and I, I tell my team uh, about that is don't be loyal to a decision you made because you made it. Yeah. Because, you know, if, if you defend the decision because you feel that it's my decision, I have to defend it, must succeed. No, if the information later and hindsight provided that I should have made a different decision. They call it zero-based thinking. Yeah. So you go back to zero. If I, based on what I know today, if I had known that at that time, could I have made that decision? Yeah. And objective, pragmatic people are the ones who are going to say, nope. So the team, many cases, they come in and say, that decision is not working. Yeah. And I said, okay, let's review it and let's, uh, let's change it. So there are, uh, there are many. I can't recall one in, uh, yeah. in, in Vegas in particular, but <laughs> uh, I think it, it's, uh, it, it's something that is critical. I tell people sometimes, you know, every five years, try to fire yourself and rehire yourself again so you can view everything you've done in the last five years from different lenses. Yeah. As if someone is coming to change everything and someone's life is like, what... Yeah. What did this person do? How are they doing it this way? <laughs> and then you start changing your, uh, your thing. That's, that's very important because the market moves very fast. Yeah. Knowledge acquisition shouldn't, shouldn't ever stop. Um, and the mistakes that we make you know, help us make better decisions in the future. I hope that answered your question. Yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> what is your favorite color and why? Favorite color? Um, I like white. I like white space. Yeah. So, um, but mostly on the background. Uh, <laughs> and why? Because it's, uh, it gives you the opportunity to showcase the item um, without being really, you know, busy. Um, uh, Apple did a great job utilizing white in, uh, in, their, uh, in their packaging and their marketing. Uh, so nice, clean, and fresh more than, the, you know. So that's on a marketing standpoint. Yeah. Well, Haitham, thank you for joining us. It's thank you for really having been me. a pleasure. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you, gentlemen. We'll talk soon. Grocery Is Your Business is a production of Mouth Media Network, copyright 2019. Connect with the show on social media at Mouth Media Network and contact us at podcast at mouthmedianetwork.com. Thank you for listening.